The time was fast approaching when I'd have to explain to Emmett the etiquette of meeting my mom and stepdad. Since I started at USC, I'd had six or seven boyfriends of varying degrees of seriousness, and I'd more or less gotten the speech down. It opened with, it's best not to bring up politics, and ended with, few subjects are truly safe, so we seldom discuss much at all. For Emmett, I'd have to add, this would be particularly true because the first question my stepdad will ask you is if you personally know Huey Newton. He asked my last boyfriend if he knew Tom Hayden. He had, in fact, met him once. But that speech was to be the main attraction of next month's anxiety attack. And, as is often the case with sources of anxiety, there was no reason to look forward to it with such dread. There was every chance that Emmett and I would break up, or that just the sight of us together would drive my stepdad to rend his garments and declare me dead to him. Best to focus on the here and now. The particular here and now I was focusing on had me hanging around my parents' split level in Redlands on a Sunday afternoon. I was half watching the Rams on the new 25-inch color zenith with stepdad and mostly looking forward to saying the words, Gotta get back to L.A. Don't you just love the color? It's amazing color on this set. Yeah, it's great. It's getting so you don't even have to be at the game anymore, which is good because I don't like going to that neighborhood. A timeout on the field led to a commercial. It was for Nixon. Stepdad turned to me and said, Well, Goldwater girl, how do you like Tricky Dick? Could I pretend I didn't hear? My stepdad had a picture of me in his office, full color, wearing a white blouse, a blue skirt, and that stupid AUH2O cowboy hat. He watched me set the whole outfit on fire two years ago in the backyard barbecue pit after he gave me a blowing up about a trip I took to San Francisco, but he still asks me about it as if he didn't know that. Look straight ahead, Molly, I tell myself. Pretend this ad is fascinating. Goldwater girl! Mom came in with a tray of sandwiches. Leave her alone, Howard. That was four years ago. She doesn't like being reminded. Why should it bother her? For one thing, she liked Bobby Kennedy, dear. And it still hurt like a baseball bat to the ribs to think about him. On the way here, Abraham, Martin, and John came on the radio. And I had to get off I-15 and pull into a motel parking lot to get the tears out of my eyes. So I should call her a communist? I answer to Molly. As the commercials continued, my stepdad inspected the tray. Why did you cut the crusts off? David likes them off. Since when? Is he some kind of Bel Air faggot? And anyway, I like him on. He's not a faggot. He's a guest. I never heard him mention a woman, and I've known him since seventh grade. What does that mean? That I know him a lot better than you do, that's all. Mom opened her mouth for a retort, but quickly snapped it shut. Was it worth sticking around to ask her, in the pantry or the kitchen, out of my stepdad's earshot, what she wanted to say? One of the few exciting possibilities in this house was that someday Mom had let fly with what was obviously in her head. It had happened before. The things she said to Dad when she left him were the stuff of family legend, by necessity. She and he were the only witnesses. She never discussed it, and I was with my grandma that night. But no, I wasn't going to ask Mom about what she thought but didn't say and she wouldn't say anyway. Best to leave it alone. Go home, get a massage from Emmett and smoke some grass, and let the weekend fade out. I got off the couch and started my announcement. It's a long drive back to L.A. Nonsense, my stepdad declared. I want you to stick around and meet David. Why? Because we're talking business, and since you want to be in the industry, you should learn how to be in a meeting, right? I looked at my stepdad as if he just told me, He'd just now decided to leave Mom for a wombat. 
Usually, when I came home from school, he found time to tell me that my learning film editing was useless and that, as a girl, I'd have been better off studying typing and dictation to become a producer's secretary. This ticked me off more than anything because I was afraid that after graduation I'd end up doing that anyway. Out of the corner of my eye, I caught Mom take the hint nodding repeatedly in my direction. What did this concession cost you, Mom? I wondered. I see. Okay, when will David be here? 4.30, and he answers to Mr. Freem. I settled back into my groove on the sofa. What was another hour to me? Besides, I was curious to see Mr. Freem. I remembered meeting him once when I was little, six or seven. He gave me a rag doll, Penny, who I later wept over when we lost her in a move. I also knew of him, in that he shared screenplay credit on 11 of Stepdad's features, going back to Teenage Morlocks, which I've seen, seldom voluntarily, 27 times, when the Griegel, the good teenaged Morlock, explains to the Mary, his love interest, that his time on the Earth's surface must end, I always pictured Mr. Freem blinking back tears as he pulled the page from his Olympic office manual. The game wrapped up ahead of time because the Rams ran out the clock on the hapless Eagles, but Mr. Freem arrived early, so it evened out. When I opened the front door for him, I saw a man shorter, heavier, and grayer than I remembered. Time had stamped deep lines around his eyes and mouth. The slump in his shoulders and the bend in his knees made me think of an ant who'd been carrying too many crumbs fourteen times its size for too long. The Redlands heat drew the sweat out of his hairless scalp, down his face, and into the pits of his fraying linen shirt, and he smelled a little like bourbon and a lot like clove cigarettes. Was this what screenwriting did to the human body? If so, would this be Emmett in 35 years? Mr. Freem threw his arms around me and squeezed me hard enough I was afraid he'd hurt himself. Oh, Peggy, you've got such an attractive sister, or is this Molly? When he let me go, and I could refill my lungs with air, I told him I was Molly. My God, have I gotten so much older? That's why I never had kids. They're calendars that talk and demand money. From behind me, Mom said, They have their compensations, David. Peggy, you don't age. How does that happen? Being married to me keeps a woman young. My stepdad pushed past me and shook Mr. Freem's hand. Well, if you never grow up, why should she? As Mom, my stepdad, and Mr. Freem shared a cocktail party-style laugh, I shut the door to keep the bugs out. My stepdad led us into his office, decorated with the new wood paneling he and Mom put up last March. Above it hung posters and publicity stills of my stepdad's life in the second-rate roadshow screen trade. One on his desk showed my stepdad and Mom in front of the Bijou Theater in Odessa, Texas. Mom was wearing a nurse's outfit because it was her job to pretend to make sure that members of the audience had strong enough hearts to watch the atomic blobs of Bighorn Mountain. I perched on the red leather love seat next to Mom. My stepdad took a script out of his antique oak desk, inherited from Granddad along with his share of a heavy harvester business, and dropped it on the blotter. Well, David, dope dealers from Mars. I've got to say I'm happy. Good, Mr. Freem said. I'm serious. This may well be your best work. You say that every time. No, I mean it. When Cleary says to Daisy that his time on Earth is over, that he must return to Mars, I got chills. I teared up, I swear. I damn near broke a rib and cracked a tooth holding in my ha. <laughs> Unbelievable. And I love how this ties in with contemporary issues. In we, if we can keep just a few of the kids straight, it'll be a victory. If Mr. Freem was finding folly in any of this, he didn't show it. Again, thanks, Howard. That said, I do have some notes, my stepdad said. 
Mom, who'd been coming through a copy of Ladies' Home Journal with a coffee ring on the back advertisement, set it down on the end of the table and got up. I've got some dishes to do. Get me some coffee while you're in there, my stepdad said. I'm okay, Mr. Freem said. No, Mom said, half and half in one lump coming up. Mom left. My stepdad flipped pages. Peggy's got an amazing memory. How's that? You don't have coffee here that often. Still, she remembers how you take it. Uh, No, she didn't. I just didn't want to correct her. You should. You should have what you want. Goldwater girl, tell your mother. Forget it, David said. I'll take it the way she makes it. You're for Goldwater? David said this to me as if he'd just found out that Adolf Hitler and I attended the same ballroom dancing class. Not anymore. I was 17. It was the last time we agreed on anything, my stepdad said. Wasn't it, honey? Yes, I've matured since then, I said. My stepdad didn't see what I did there, but the corners of Mr. Freem's mouth curled up a little. Who are you for now? Humphrey, I guess. You guess? My stepdad found a reason to say, she's still mourning little Bobby and Martin Luther Kuhn. Maybe I thought I'll tell Emmett that I'm a foundling and my parents died in Nevada nuclear tests. Nine dates and talking about sharing living expenses isn't too late to bring a thing like that up, right? Mr. Freem looked like he'd just been told he'd been eating tarantulas. Why was he my stepdad's friend? Why was anybody my stepdad's friend? Sure, my real dad was an irresponsible layabout who kept gambling away rent and food money. And sure, my stepdad's family's money made him secure enough that he could afford a wife, a daughter, and a perpetually money-losing movie-making business. But was that any reason to marry the man? And here's what let my vast stores of guilt loose. Did Mom marry him because of me? To secure for me a future? Mr. Freem said, I know how she feels. I remember when Roosevelt died. Oh, don't tell me you feel bad about that. I did feel bad about that. Besides, you voted for Roosevelt. No, I didn't. I didn't vote at all. Wilkie might as well have been a Democrat. I'd have voted for Lindbergh if he'd have run. He should have. You had some notes for Mr. Freem, I said. Mom came back in with a wooden tray bearing two steaming mugs of coffee. Why didn't I ask for a cup? A whiff of it stoked my craving. Mr. Freem took his cup and smiled at Mom. Thank you, Peggy. Mom then gave my stepdad his mug, which he acknowledged by waving her back. He flipped through more pages. Right, notes, let me see. On page 58, we've got Chet driving his car fast around corners on a twisty road. Yeah. But this is the first time he drives in this story. If he's such a good driver, shouldn't we establish that earlier? Why? How is it so hard to believe that a teenage kid would know how to drive fast? I gotta tell you, I got questions. Our story has to make sense. Okay, maybe we have a drag racing scene at the beginning. No way! I've got an insurance company working securing the completion bond. That'll mess us up with them. Then what do you suggest? That you think of something. Mr. Freem started to say something, closed his mouth, and then after a second said, I'll figure something out, don't worry. Okay, next thing, and this I love, is the scene where Tleary tells Hymar and Lomar that he's glad he ratted them out to the town and the army. That is so great, this scene. It's just like Malloy and On the Waterfront. I did have that scene in mind. There was some personal experience there, too. (laughs) Would my stepdad try to get Brando? I know. You didn't think I saw that in there. I'm just glad you're not one of these sob sisters who whines about how naming names weighs on them. You did the right thing. They were wrong, and they deserved what they got. Am I right, or am I right? Can we get off this, Howard? Why? This is praise. You usually take praise well. Let's just get off it, Howard. A quick jolt of anger and judgment arced through my nervous system. Mr. Freem looked smaller to me now. 
and the stench of his cigarettes offended me more. I guess he did it for his career, but what kind of career had he had? The only reason I heard of the pictures he wrote was that stepdad made him. He'd never convinced anyone with skill or talent to make anything of his. How many careers did Mr. Freem ruin to get this? Mom patted Mr. Freem on his shoulder on her way back out of the office. She was almost at the door when my stepdad said, I think we need to talk about the adultery. That stopped Mom. In a spasm, her shoulders hunched. David stubbed out a Paul Mall he hadn't lit yet. My stepdad said, So Mrs. Weatherby gets seduced by Hymar, which is fine, she's a weak woman. But then when she argues with Hymar, she gets away, joins Daisy and Chet, and lives to the end. What, you want her dead? Mom said without turning around. I wish I could have seen her face. Mr. Freem laughed, too long and too loud. My stepdad got red and slapped a script against his desk blotter, dislodging half a dozen business cards and some track slips. As a matter of fact, yes, I want her dead. She broke a vows. The code of the movies demands she be punished for it. What code? I asked. The Hayes Code, for one, my stepdad said. This time I was powerless to keep my ha within. Out it jumped. My stepdad's eyes narrowed. He growled through clenched teeth. Care to share the joke, Goldwater girl? The Hayes Code? Nobody's followed that for years. It was already ancient when some like it hot blew its remnants away. There was the pawnbroker and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. The code is history. You're probably the last person on earth who still cares about it. You've been filling your mind with a lot of trash since you left home, and you were such a straight kid. Anyway, I don't care what degenerate Hollywood directors do. We're making a moral film. A moral roadshow horror film? Yeah, that's right. Mrs. Weatherby committed adultery. We have to punish her for it. So she has to die. That's the punishment, Mr. Freem said. That's it. You don't think that's a little harsh? No. Besides, it'll give us a bump we need in the story. He'll shoot her with a beam that'll turn her into a skeleton right in the living room. That'd be a great moment. The kids'll love it. I think it's terrible, Mom said. Why? What's so terrible? I mean, is this a movie or one of those countries where they stone women to death? Mom still hadn't turned around. From head to toe, she was shaking. My stepdad got out from behind the desk and slowly approached her. Honey? Still, Mom refused to turn. My stepdad reached to put his hands on her shoulders, but something appeared to make him think twice about it, because his hands dropped back to his hips. Mom said very quietly with a rumble in her throat, I have to do some dusting. Mom left. Several loud metallic bangs burst from the utility closet. My stepdad shut the office door and returned to the desk. Maybe you should just think about it. I think it's right for the picture. Maybe, Mr. Freem said. Thoughts of going after my mom and asking her what just happened flashed in my head, but how was I going to put the question to her? Had the syntax yet been devised that would allow me to ask her in a way that would lead to a straight answer? None that I was aware of. And there was no way to ask Mr. Freem. And of all of us in the room, I felt confident stepdad was the least likely to know anything worth the bother of formulating a question. Besides, my stepdad said, it'll give Ginny the chance to do a death scene, and you know how she loves to do death scenes. Sure, Mr. Freem said, but not for you. She told you never again, right? She can't not. I checked. She's got nine days left on her contract this year at Universal, and no one's claimed it yet. She'll be here. My stepdad sent me out to arrange more coffee. Mom wasn't in the hall, kitchen, or pantry, so I rinsed out the percolator, put the fresh grounds in the filter, and otherwise got coffee going. 
When I stepped into the living room, I saw Mom sitting outside on the back porch in her yellow lawn chair, staring into the middle distance with a crossword puzzle on her lap that she didn't appear to be doing. I slid open the glass door, stepped outside, and hugged her from behind. They didn't kick you out, did they? No, I'm just getting coffee for them. Is there, is there what? Something you want to tell me about you and Mr. Freem? Nothing. Okay. Mom pushed her reading glasses up and picked up her pencil. What's a three-letter word meaning before to a bard? Err. E-R-R, like to err is human? No, E-R-E, as in we must leave air daybreak. Mom filled it into 27 down. I should read the classics. Maybe I'll get to it someday. Go back in now. If you stay out too long, they'll think they won. Sure, Mom. I kissed her cheek and went back inside. The percolations were at their peak, so I poured out three cups of java and brought them into the office. My stepdad kept going with his notes for another 19 minutes, while Mr. Freem nodded and said little. I couldn't tell if that meant Mr. Freem was weak-willed or if he was just pretending to take my stepdad seriously before rewriting it his own way, or maybe not bothering to rewrite at all. As one of my profs at USC said, here's the thing about notes. Producers with a screenplay are like small children with a rice pudding. They'll hate it one day and ask for two servings the next. When the meeting broke up, Mr. Freem shook my hand but didn't look me in the eye. He slinked out without saying goodbye to Mom. My stepdad wanted to talk about how the meeting went and what I'd learned. I talked a lot, but I didn't tell him. Which seemed like good training for the professional world I was soon to enter. That was The Day Molly Got Into the Room, which can be found in the literary magazine Constellations Number 7, Transgressions. I hope you enjoyed this story. I did want to give a shout-out to Anita Felicelli's novel, Chimerica. I just finished it and thought it was fun, engaging, surreal, and moving. Buy it, or encourage your library to buy it so you can check it out. Anyway, you know the drill. If you like this story, like, share, subscribe, and review on iTunes. If you want to read the stories I've read on this podcast, or get ahead of me by reading the ones I haven't recorded yet, visit www.jimsnowden.com and follow the links. I'm Jim Snowden. See you in February.